We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With US Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. US Bank credit cards are issued by US Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to a Tuesday evening post-All-Star break edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen, joined as I always am on Tuesdays by Alex Barutha. Uh, Alex, we haven't spoken since, of course, before the All-Star break. A lot has happened uh, in the last few days since. We'll get into kind of a full recap of All-Star weekend and, and jump around to a few more items uh, before we return to play uh, with a couple games on Wednesday night. And then things really pick up uh, with a very busy second half schedule on Thursday. I want to start with... The not the NBA Hall of Fame, the Basketball Hall of Fame announced its 14 finalists for the 2021 class. This is by no means as big of a deal as like the football or the baseball Hall of Fame, which are pretty massive news items for a couple days. Uh, you know, as the process to to pare down the group of players happens, and then of course you know the announcement of, of who's actually inducted. Nobody really cares about the Basketball Hall of Fame that much, but even with that said, there there are a couple interesting names that I wanted to more or less just gauge your opinion on and and kind of get your first reaction of like, is this guy a Hall of Famer? Um, and that of course comes with the caveat that the Basketball Hall of Fame is so much easier to get into 
than than other sports hall of fames but uh, i won't read the full list but a few names that jump out as eligible this year chris bosh uh, who actually became eligible last year didn't make it so this is his second go round uh tim hardaway tim hardaway senior this is not tim hardaway jr paul pierce ben wallace and chris weber bosh is an interesting one um you know i think i mean he's he's part of some of the best title you know i mean those heat title teams were like incredible and he was an all-star he the only time he was not an all-star was his first two seasons in the nba now he only ever made one all nba team so you can kind of tell that's where the his case is one of the most drastic instances of a guy being like an 11 time all-star and just a one-time all nba guy because he played in the eastern conference Mm -hmm. and was on really good teams so I don't know, man. I think I think he should probably be in. Um, you know, he he proved that he could be a big numbers player in Toronto. Then he went to Miami, settled into a role where he eventually kind of became like what we know today as like the modern stretch five. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I I'm OK with having him in. I mean, there's, the, the thing about the Basketball Hall of Fame, like you mentioned, is there are a lot of people in the Basketball Hall of Fame worse than Chris Bosh. Yeah, I, I I also think you have to factor in that he was extremely well liked, and I, right. I think his career, you know, ended on on a really disappointing note, um, when, you know, with the blood clot issue. But I I also think in some ways it kind of allowed him to to go out somewhat on top. Um, you know, it wasn't at his absolute peak. That was a couple years uh, after those Heat championships. But you know, there there wasn't like the Carmelo last couple years with the Knicks, Carmelo and Houston phase of Chris Bosch's career where like we kind of saw like a, a full, um, you know, I can't think of the right word, like uh, just a kind of a, a reevaluation of Carmelo Anthony's career where people started saying like, Hey, this was this guy actually good. And then, you know, people look at the number and it's like, yes, he was very good. He was you know, almost an MVP a couple of times, but you know, the lows were so low at times uh, at the end of his career that I, I think it kind of called into question some things that shouldn't have been called into question. And, and Bosch, I mean, his final year, in the league was still like a 20 and seven guy and on a pretty good heat team that, you know, had, had managed to stay relevant after LeBron left for Cleveland. Um, so I, I think in some ways, you know, those almost boost his career averages. He won't have those three or four years at the end of his career where he's just hanging on and averaging like six points and four rebounds. Like, I mean, for his career, he's 19.2 points, eight and a half boards, two assists, one block, obviously has the two titles, like you said, 11 time all-star. Um, and he is only a one-time all NBA guy. That, that certainly you know is not a mark in his favor but at the same time when you look at his his prime years i mean the other forwards that he's going up against for those all nba nods i mean it's lebron james who's a first team lock virtually every single year you know you got the you know kind of the last four or five years of kevin garnett's prime uh kevin durant essentially emerged as a first team lock you know around 2010 carmelo anthony kevin love blake griffin dirk nowitzki still great around that time lamarcus aldridge um, so to me, it never really felt like Chris Bosch was on like a completely different level than those guys. It was just like, there was so much talent at the position that kind of by default, he was always the the next man out. Right. I think, I mean, I think there should probably be some like sort of, you know, minimums or like thresholds that you can cross that just almost automatically make you a hall of famer. And I think 10 all-star appearances should probably be right. one of those. I think you should just get in consecutive like, would, too. Yeah. Right. Um, like there, there are a few things like that. So I think just based on that, you know, you got to put them in there because 
the basketball hall of fame is just as much i, I think there are a lot of instances where it's about influence just as much as like pure numbers mm-hmm. and the all-star game is a fan vote which can be like sometimes that's a bad way to evaluate things but you know like on who's you know which player had a better career for example but on whether or not they deserve to be in the basketball hall of fame i think all-star appearances is a valid mm-hmm. argument yeah, I think he gets in probably this year. If not this year, then next year. Um, I mean, there, there was a pretty good chance that he would have gotten in last year. But then when he's going up against Kobe, Tim Duncan, KG, uh, Tamika Catchings for the WNBA, uh, you know, they were all a part of that 2020 class. Um, so obviously he's kind of a step below those guys. I, I mean, you and I didn't really live through Tim Hardaway's career, so I don't I don't want to evaluate that uh, too closely. I think he's, he's one of those guys that's kind of on the borderline every year. But um what are your thoughts on Paul Pierce? I think he's uh, going to get in. There's really no question there. But um, how, you know, how close, like in your personal book, like how close would he be to being a borderline guy? Uh, or even if you compare it to, you know, the stringency of the NFL or, or the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, you know, to me, like the equivalent of Paul Pierce, the baseball player, is probably a borderline Hall of Famer. Paul Pierce, the basketball player, is an easy first ballot guy. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm with you on that. I was never like a Paul Pierce guy. So like I I don't yeah I don't have like a ton of uh like sympathy towards him in terms of like uh, whether or not he's like a definitely a Hall of Famer or not like we we definitely went back and forth on him when we did that podcast about like the top NBA players ever yep um I don't know man like he's he he's really high on some of these career leaderboards because he had a really long career like he's 15th all time in games played NBA yeah. um you know 16th if you include the ABA. I, I mean, I think he's in. I, you know, he's ten, definitely again, in. Ten-time All-Star, four-time All-NBA, one one title, um, average, you know, 25 points a game for the bulk of his prime. So, I, I mean, that that pretty much does it. Talk about a guy whose career completely flipped when they won that title. You know, that was right in the middle of his career. He was 30 years old. Um, you know, and like you said, ended up playing until he was 39. Um, it was kind of just a, a good stats pretty bad team guy for for a lot of the early 2000s. I mean, he made five straight All-Star games from 02 to 06, but you know, he was hurt a lot of the 06 07 season and then the Celtics fortunes completely changed when KG and Ray Allen arrive and I, I think Paul Pierce goes from this guy who's averaging 25 26 points a game for a, a team that wins, you know, 38 to 45 games and then loses in round 1 or round 2 of the playoffs if it makes it to all of a sudden, I, I think, you know, by the end of like the 2010s, he was viewed as this like intense, you know, veteran champion type of guy who right. ends up going to Brooklyn and ends up going to Washington and, and being fairly important pieces, you know, as this veteran leader later on. But I, I think his his career completely flipped when the big three was assembled. It really did. And I think this, you know, it's a, like a lot of players can kind of go through this process. Guys who people like, you know, the good stats, bad team thing is always like really sometimes it's hard to discern because of situations like this where it's like, well, yeah, if he's your best player, where are you going? But if he's your mm-hmm. third best player, like you're in a really good spot. Um, right. And I don't know, man, I, his, his case is good. He's still somehow, I mean, even with like a lot of these guys who are good three point shooters, just keep like really falling down the list of like made threes because of the kind of boom of, yeah. you know, like in the last 10 years, but Paul Pierce is still ninth all time in made threes in the NBA. And if you're top 10 on any list like that, that feels like it should be a lock, right? Like you, we oh, wouldn't be sure. having, we wouldn't be having a discussion about someone who's like, well, he's, he's got the 10th most rebounds in NBA history. Should he be in or not? Yeah. Uh, so. 
No, that's a good point. And and again, I, I think you know there is an argument to be made that he was never like the bona fide best player on a great team. I think I would always I would always go default to KG. I know Pierce won the Finals MVP uh, in that in that 08 series, but I, I think KG was the best player, certainly two way player on that team. Um, like I said, I, I think it'd be really interesting. I don't know who the baseball equivalent of Paul Pierce is, but I, it would be one of those guys who's just kind of always right there. Um, and hit, I mean, him having the title, I think, sealed it. Um, that's kind of what separates him, I think, from the other from from a Tracy McGrady type. And, and McGrady's in as well. And that, that kind of speaks to, you know, just how open the floodgates tend to be with the Basketball Hall of Fame. But I, I think once they won the title, it sealed it um, and, and obviously kind of set off a, a completely different phase of his career. What about Ben Wallace? I will I will go to bat that Ben Wallace should be in the Hall of Fame. I, I don't think he makes it right away. Uh, you know, he's been eligible for a few years. This is not his first go around. I would love to see him get in eventually. I, I think it's really hard when you look at his basketball reference page to say, okay, this guy averaged 5.7 points for his career. He was never remotely a threat outside of like two feet from the rim. Wasn't even all that efficient of a shooter at the rim. I mean, he's career 47% for a guy who took almost all of his attempts, you know, right in that zone was a terrible free throw shooter. Like the, nobody's, nobody's claiming he was a great offensive player, but I mean, for people who, who lived through that kind of, you know, Oh two to Oh eight run for the Detroit Pistons, like that guy was the most feared. And, and I think like most popular defensive player in the league, you know, for, made, for a guy who's just not very flashy, like he was a, a very big deal for, for a few years there. He made defense cool. He made blocking shots. Cool. Um, I think again, like this is, he made you, you mentioned he averaged, you know, like five points a game for his career and he never averaged more than 10 points a game in his, uh, for a single season. But he still made five all NBA teams. Be, that being yeah. said, just as like a to, you know, demonstrate like how big of an impact he had. He's a four time defensive player of the year. I mean, that's that alone should be enough to get you into the Hall of Fame right. four times and, in five years. Yeah, he's basically a top 15 rebounder and shot blocker ever. Um, he's fifth in defensive rating career for NBA. Um, I don't know, man. Like I, I think culturally plus, you know, just being again, dominant on that end of the court, I, you should be in. It's hard. How do you, I, you can't like a lot of players, you, you can't, I, you can't tell the story of like defense in the two thousands without Ben Wallace. It, it's no. just. No, he is. He's one of the iconic guys from that era, which you know, wasn't always like the brightest era for the NBA. Right. Uh, there was it was kind of a I, w- I wouldn't say there were no superstars, but there certainly were not as many. Like almost every team in the league now has one guy who you could some would say is a superstar. Others would say is a star at the very least. You know, you have like Jeremy Grant in Detroit. You know, like everybody has somebody to, to feel good about. That was definitely not the case around that time. And obviously the Pistons were a team that that had plenty of talent. But for me, he was the most memorable guy for those teams. You know, I think Chauncey Billups is probably the best overall player from those teams. You know, Tayshawn Prince was super important. Rip, Rip Hamilton was a great scorer. Rasheed Wallace um, was, was a memorable piece on that title team. But I think when I think of that era of Pistons basketball, like Ben Wallace is easily the first one who comes to mind. Yeah, I mean, he gave them a lot of personality, which I feel like they were sort of lacking otherwise. Yeah. And he also has the title. I mean, much like Pierce, I think that... Yep. Without the title, it's it's a lot harder to make that case. I mean, he's only a four-time All-Star. Like you said, most guys in the Hall of Fame, especially guys who have a 15-year career, you know, most of those guys have made eight to 15 All-Star games. 
Um, so, you know, Wallace's peak was certainly shorter. He really was not all that relevant of a player until the, you know, turn of the century, 01, 02, uh, kind of toiled in, in obscurity, really, with in Washington and Orlando. I honestly didn't even know he played for Orlando until just now. Um, but that run in Detroit was was super memorable. And And again, like the football equivalent, the baseball equivalent of Ben Wallace, you know, you just have like three or four dominant years where you're like if you were just like a really really awesome defensive outfielder for five years and really didn't do anything else you, you batted like 150 like no you're not getting into the hall of fame but but this is the basketball hall of fame and and i honestly don't think it would be egregious to let him in at all uh, i'm with you on that okay what about chris weber real quickly not a guy who's you know kind of prime years that we necessarily were were locked into with the nba but um somebody we watched quite a bit you know during the early stages of the the NBA shutdown. We watched a few Kings games. We dug pretty deep on Chris Webber. Obviously, he's still very much relevant in the NBA world, being a commentator, uh, being an opinionist. But uh, looking at his career, I mean, I, I, based on the other guys who are in, I'm surprised he's not in already. Yeah, definitely. When you look at the surrounding, when you look at other players in the Hall of Fame, I, I think you know his 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 case becomes stronger. But he, you know. I don't know. I mean, rookie of the year, that's important. Five-time All-NBA, five-time All-Star. It's just like I think for him, the like the end, the end came so quickly and the start was so like uh, just like he kind of forcing himself off teams and kind of maligned, I feel like, early in his career. Yeah. And so you kind of got <laughs> – he had a really, really nice prime that got bookended by kind of like sour feelings, I feel like, like – you know, just not great on either end. And I think he's kind of getting um, downgraded for that. But yeah, he's, I think he'd be borderline in a more strict hall of fame. Right. Like I think in like yeah. the, in like the ideal or idealized version of the basketball hall of fame, where there's maybe like, I don't even know how many players, mm-hmm. couple, like a hundred, 200 players. Uh, he would be borderline, but uh, he should be in with this one. Well, he's also hurt. I, I I don't have this as like an absolute fact, but I believe his college career like doesn't count for the Hall of Fame, right? Because oh, it was all yeah. vacated. So I, I like for a lot of guys, since it is the Basketball Hall of Fame, you know, international accomplishments, college accomplishments are a pretty big deal. You know, like I think Ralph Sampson won like three National Player of the Years at Virginia. That's a big, that's a huge part of of his Hall of Fame case. And you know, other guys who starred in college, it's the same way. I mean, Chris Webber was. I think in for his era, like probably the most, you know, recognizable or at least like hyped prospect to to play in college. Yeah. Um. And you know, even they even though they went to a championship game, I, I don't think any of that counts on his resume. So that that is something to consider. Um. Although you know, if you're a voter, I, I think you can still, you know, you could you could kind of still vote as if it happened. I don't I don't think you're required to just like wipe that from your memory. But yeah, based on the other guys who were in, like. Once Tracy McGrady got in, I feel like Chris Webber and Tracy McGrady had very similar careers in a lot of ways. You know, really, really strong primes. I think McGrady's peak was probably higher than Chris Webber's peak statistically. Um, but both fairly short primes, both guys who, uh, you know, got injured and, and were able to hang on at the end, but were, were kind of shells of themselves. And I, I think maybe that makes it a little bit easier to forget just how good they were at their peak. You know, when you see somebody playing for like five or six straight years after a terrible knee injury or a terrible, terrible Achilles injury. Um, you, you kind of forget how great they were. I think we're kind of going through that with Blake Griffin right now in some ways. Um, but the, the seven year peak for Chris Weber, 23 points, 10 and a half rebounds, four and a half assists, 1.6 deals, 1.7 blocks, 49% from the field, uh, only 65% at the line. 
was shooting threes during that era, which, you know, for a power forward center, not a super common thing to be doing in the late 90s. Um, but I, I think based on that peak alone, even though he doesn't have the title, I, I, I'm pro C-Web the player uh, getting into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. The Rotowire NBA podcast is brought to you by Gamer Saloon. Gamer Saloon is a video game tournament platform where you can play video games for real cash prizes. All major consoles and PCs are supported. Our most popular titles are NBA 2K, Madden, FIFA, NHL, and Call of Duty. Gamer Saloon launched in 2006 and since then has awarded more than $75 million in prizes. Players could play in multiplayer tournaments or simply play 1v1 games from your couch for real cash prizes. Withdrawals are fast and easy, and they're directly deposited right into your PayPal account. Join a free match on us today by going to gamersaloon.com slash rotowire. That's gamersaloon.com slash rotowire, and simply pick your game of choice. All you have to do is win one match, and Gamer Saloon will give you $10. Again, gamersaloon.com slash rotowire. Win that match. Go get those free $10. Let's pivot to the All-Star game. Uh, how much of the game were you able to watch on Sunday night? I watched all of All-Star Weekend minus that Quavo versus whoever else uh, contest. Okay, I watched everything except for the skills challenge. So okay. I was able to, I, I caught some of the Lil Baby and 2 Chains versus Quavo and Jack Harlow game. I watched it with some friends for about 10 minutes and the <laughs> basketball was like laughably bad. It was, it was not, I don't know what I expected but like two changes usage rate in that game was like 85%. I, I felt bad for Lil Baby at times. Um, the finishing around the rim was horrendous. Uh, there was a lot of chirping at the referees. It was, it was, a, it was a bit of a mess. <laughs> chirping at the refs. I saw Lil Baby brick a free throw against the top of the backboard. Yeah. And I think that disqualifies you from speaking to a referee. I mean, I, these guys aren't pros. Maybe we're just used to watching really high level basketball and this looks bad. And that's probably what we would look like out there. But I, I thought that the level of competency would be a little bit higher for them to make this a, you know, as big of a deal as it was. I mean, it wasn't on national TV, but it was broadcast on the Bleacher Report app. It was live on Twitter. Like this was, you know, the biggest thing going on on Saturday night in sports. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want you to ever imply that I would look like that out there. Well, you wouldn't look like that. I would look like that. Okay, you would. I, would, I was kind of watching Jack Har- Jack Harlow, and I was like, I, this kind of reminds me of myself. <laughs> no Not one, no one that we play. I don't think anyone that we play basketball with would ever hit a free throw that badly, or uh, miss a free throw that. that badly. Yeah. Well, luckily we play. I mean, when we play, there's no free throws, so we we have really no basis well, to go off of. But that is um, true. I actually thought the All Star Game itself was strangely a lot of fun. Um, they they seem to get the audio a little bit better. Like in the first half, it was like hurting my ears how loud they had the fake crowd noise. I thought it was like weirdly kind of distracting. Um, but that got better as the game went on. And I mean, other than LeBron just kind of calling it quits midway through the second quarter, I, I thought it was as fun as any other All-Star game. I, I didn't really find myself thinking like, man, this is so much worse with no fans. Uh, I thought the environment was fine. I, I thought the players, for the most part, everybody seemed engaged. Everybody wanted to be there. Um, it, it just kind of felt like a normal all-star game to me. Yeah. I feel like we, uh, well, yeah, it, LeBron didn't play in the second half and Luka Doncic was mentally checked out the whole time. Um, yeah, that was strange. Yeah. Uh, he wore, I mean, he wore his warmups during the skills challenge. Not a great sign, even though I'm for it. 
Um, I, I think it would, yeah, I, I, we still got, it was fun, but I feel like we didn't see anything like insane. Like, I feel like we got robbed of like, uh, you know, like the highlight Zion dunk or like a windmill for Giannis or something like that. Yeah. Zion, I think was by far the biggest disappointment, right? Yeah. Like he, he like bricked a couple dunks early on, uh, looked, a, looked a little bit heavy footed, uh, kind of similar to LeBron. They, they both had a couple plays where you're like, okay, that, I don't know how that, how you possibly missed that. Um, and Zion, I think only played like one or two minutes in the second half. If, if he played at all, I think he and LeBron both only played like 12 or 13 minutes. So yeah, I was, I was hoping that in lieu of Zion being in the dunk contest, we would at least get a couple of those situations where guys just kind of clear out and, and allow someone to throw down like a, a huge fast break dunk. And I mean, I, I feel like there was like just enough defense that Zion never quite had that opportunity. Yeah, there was, you're right. The, the, the seas never parted really. And the thing is, like, with the the problem with the the Elam ending is like it's good for theoretically competitive basketball in the fourth quarter, but it also prevents the possibility of like the last two minutes of the game being garbage time where it becomes a dunk contest. Right, that is true. I, the Elam ending I think was so much better last year because the score was closer and we got, I mean, and no team could score at the end, so we we got like 15 straight possessions of like super high level basketball where you know a couple of them you know ended in fouls and. Um, you know, I, I think people finally saw like the kind of two-way play that we were hoping for in an all-star game, but, but team LeBron just pulled out to too much of a lead. And it, I feel like after the first quarter, it was never really all that close. And if you're, if you were like not super locked in, like all of a sudden Dave Lillard pulls up from half court and the game's just over. Right. Yeah. I don't mind that format though, for the all-star game. I, I, I think overall it's better. Like I think either way it would have been a blowout, you know? So I, I, I guess I, I like the possibility of of there being kind of that game winning scenario. I like that. I mean, I like the Elam ending in general. I think, it, I think it'd be fine if they, you know, incorporated that into the, you know, real basketball, uh, like uh, NBA games. Um, mm. I like, I, I think they could do, I think they could do the Elam ending and they could do like the one free throw, like G league rule. And I think it would go pretty smoothly. I'm, I'm for both yeah. of those. I think I'm definitely pro using the all-star game to experiment with these things, you know, instead of trying it in like real games or even preseason games. Right. I would not, I feel like the G league will go with the Elam ending sooner than later. And yeah, I mean, that's where they should really be using opportunities to experiment with stuff. Right. Stakes could not be lower in those games. (laughs) Um, Giannis is the MVP 16 of 16 from the field. I was totally fine with the decision. I, I think it was Mark Spears from ESPN said he had people from Dame Lillard's camp in his year, you know, getting on him for, for not voting for Lillard. I can't imagine anybody really cared that much about it. I, I mean, if you go 16 of 16, I, I think Giannis played like fewer than 20 minutes in the game as well. Um, and, and a lot of the shots were dunks, but they, they weren't all, I mean, he had, I think he banked in one, three banked in another long two. Um, I don't know. It, remember when Anthony Davis went for like 50 in the all-star game a few years ago, and it was almost exclusively just like catching 40 foot passes and laying it up or dunking. Like it, it felt like an extremely cheap 50 points. Like this, this didn't really feel that way to me. I was completely fine with Giannis winning it. Me too. I think that, I, I don't know. Like I understand, I understand Dame Lillard's camp wanting him to win because he made like two half court shots. Yeah. Uh, but like, I don't remember him really doing anything else. So like, I think, I, I, yeah, I think both he and Curry had like eight threes. In the game, but yeah, it was it was like a very quiet eight threes because some of those attempts were just so ludicrous that they like didn't even seem like a real shot. Right. 
And I don't think Lillard dunked. Curry at least had the alley-oop dunk. Yeah. Um, yeah, there wasn't really any standout. Like, I remember towards the end, I'm, I'm just thinking, like, well, I guess I guess Giannis wins the MVP because I yeah. don't – no one else really did anything. Well, that's the thing. I mean, Lillard finished with 32. Curry finished with 28. They both had, they both had eight threes. You know, neither of them had a ton of assists or rebounds or anything. Um, and Giannis was the leading scorer in the game with 35 and made every single shot. So I, I don't know. I felt like it was a fairly easy call. And he, he did go three of three from beyond the arc. That's more than I thought. Um, did you feel like there was any Lillard versus Curry back and forth going on? I, I thought for the most part, like the game was extremely friendly. You know, LeBron threw out a tweet that only LeBron could tweet after the game uh, about how excited he was to, to play with Steph Curry. But it, it did feel a little bit like, I feel like they were trying to push it with the camera work. Like every time Curry would hit a three, for some reason it would just like pan to Lillard sitting on the bench. And like, I, I was watching with Molly and even she was like, why do they keep showing this guy every time Curry hits a three? <laughs> I actually don't, I, I didn't really notice that. I mean, they kind of went back and forth, right? Like a your turn, my turn thing, trying to hit like yeah. half quarters. Um, I think so, yeah. I mean, and Curry had obviously just won the three-point shootout. So, you know, and that had happened like minutes before the game started. The problem was that they're on the same team. Yeah. Right. Like, you, what are you going to like? If they were on different teams, that makes more sense. They would get into like, you know, one of those like back and forths where they just try to hit yeah. the most difficult three on each other. But there's only so much like how much drama can you make, you know, unless like Curry just runs up to Dame and takes the ball from him and shoots a half quarter. Like, yeah, I don't I mean, I, I love Dame Millard. The problem is, I mean, Steph Curry has three rings he has zero rings like it, I, I'm all, I'm all for entertaining this debate but it's just it's almost like an impossible argument for him to win right now because it, it's kind of the same you know LeBron Jordan especially a couple years ago you know maybe before 2016 when it was like look you could you could say LeBron's better than Jordan all you want but team Jordan is always going to have the rings trump card and and it's, I think it's almost like even more drastic you know it's like Lillard's never even been to the finals and as much as I love him and respect him as a player like if you're trying to debate Curry versus Lillard, like to me, it's it's always going to be Curry, at least at this stage. It definitely, yeah, definitely. Okay, that's enough All Star talk. Um, I just want to get to a few kind of random grab bag items, uh, and then we'll bounce out of here. I noticed when looking at the DraftKings sportsbook today that Joel Embiid has officially overtaken LeBron in the MVP odds. Um, we don't have to go too deep on this. I feel like we talk about it pretty much every week, but. This is a pretty notable swing, um, and it happened over the All-Star break, strangely enough, which, you know, Joel Embiid didn't even play in the All-Star game, and LeBron barely played himself, but um, I, I, I just, does it feel to you like the narrative has shifted in that direction? Because, you know, even as the Lakers were, were struggling, and I think at one point they lost four out of five, um, you know, with, with Anthony Davis sitting out, um, like, has anything happened in the last week that really makes it feel like Embiid should be the betting favorite, um, you know, regardless of your own personal opinion? Well, when when Anthony Davis first went out, I, we kind of talked about it on the podcast. Like, this highlights LeBron's MVP case. Like, yeah. this puts a spotlight on it. And he didn't do anything. He did nothing with it. Like, the Lakers did not play well. And he put up similar, if not worse, numbers than he did when Anthony Davis was on the court. Um, so, I feel like people just... And since Anthony Davis went out, like, you know, before, if you're if you're a person who like listens to a ton of podcasts and like read stuff, people were like vehemently like banging on the table, like LeBron is MVP, yeah. you know, like look at what he's doing. And I have not heard one single person on any podcast that I've listened to 
since Anthony Davis got hurt, even make an argument for LeBron James as MVP. Not, I almost not, feel like there's been an oversaturation of LeBron as the MVP, and it's like turned some people off because the narrative has been pushed so hard. Yeah, I think people just I think people saw that LeBron does not was not interested in turning up that extra gear in the regular season, yeah. or they just think he doesn't have it anymore. Which, by the way, would be a very okay like. Yeah. If he doesn't have that extra gear when his second best player becomes Dennis Schroeder or Kyle Kuzma or Montrezl Harrell or whoever, like that's fine. Um, but I just I don't I don't really know what numbers point in his direction at this point. And they never were, in my opinion. I don't think there were ever any numbers this whole season that pointed in his direction that he should be MVP. But so I guess I'm glad that Embiid is yeah is, is getting the recognition he deserves. I would still put my money on LeBron because I think the numbers that matter are not his current season averages. I feel like it's like his career averages or his numbers in the finals last year almost matter more than what he does this regular season. And I, I don't think that's correct. I don't think that's how this should be evaluated. But I, I am still kind of sticking to my theory that Embiid's case is not quite strong enough where it's going to garner, you know, 85% of the first place votes. You know, I, I still think if you're not voting for LeBron, I think it's going to be split between Embiid and Jokic. I think there are going to be a couple people, you know, as of, as things stand right now, I think a couple people would vote for Giannis. I think a couple people would maybe vote for Curry. I, I think there's always a couple stray votes, you know, for for random guys, and there are certainly some more deserving players, you know, when you get when you start looking at guys who are fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh in the odds, um, who really aren't that far out of the race. Kawhi Leonard, I, I think, kind of belongs in that category as well. And I think at the end of the day, it's going to be like kind of an underwhelming. Uh, well, all right, LeBron, you know, just kind of ekes out the MVP just because he gets the most cumulative votes and it's not going to feel like a dominant, um, you know, type of MVP season like we've seen in recent years from guys like Giannis. Um, but we'll see. I mean, there's a ton of season to be to be played. Like this isn't a normal year where the all-star break is almost closer to like the two thirds point. Like it, it really is the halfway point, assuming we get all 72 of these games in. Um, so there, there's still a ton of basketball to be played. And, and there's a pretty good chance that Embiid or Jokic or Giannis or whoever, you know, maybe they do separate themselves and, and it becomes just, you know, kind of too insurmountable of a statistical um, deficit for, for LeBron to overcome. But it, it could also go the other way where, you know, once Anthony Davis comes back, the Lakers have a, a, a pretty soft schedule, at least coming out of the break. It, it does stiffen up later. But if Anthony Davis is back and healthy and the Lakers go on a run where they win, you know, 16 out of 20 games and LeBron is playing really well, I think the narrative could very easily swing back that direction. I mean, some of that's going to depend on Anthony Davis being healthy. Yeah, I think. Um, For sure, I, I think more than I would, more than LeBron's camp would probably like to admit. If he's out, if Anthony Davis is out for another three weeks, Denver could, I think, get above them in the standings. Right. And then, what's your argument for LeBron? Yep. No, so. for sure, exactly. That was, and that was, if you're looking at just this season, and you're not, you're trying not to factor in like the LeBron legacy factor, which is the number one thing driving this. If you're looking at just the season, the, the biggest thing he had in his favor is that everyone thought the Lakers were just going to run through the West and you know be the best team by like a five game margin. And it's looking pretty unlikely that that's going to be the case now. It that Yeah, that that is not going to be the case. I think Jokic and Embiid, I think, should be like the, the one and two. And yeah. I'm I'm partial to either one of them. I It'll come down to the second half of the season on those guys for me. Yeah. I actually think just like just those two is an extremely fun MVP race because they're yeah. both big men. No, no true big man, unless you're counting Giannis, I guess, has won the MVP in a very long time. And they're, they could not be different or could not be more different stylistically. It's a, it's a pretty fascinating debate if, if you're just looking at those two guys outside of LeBron. 
It is because it kind of comes down to like assists versus defense. Right. I think is like the fundamental like st- point that people are going to like have to come to grips with. Also that like uh, Embiid has a better team around him, I think. I mean, I, I don't even know who uh, the Nuggets third best player is. Like it's either Will Barton yeah. or Michael Porter, but Porter's been bad. Like Jokic has no help. I mean, the fact that he's getting eight and a half assists with this team is insane. I mean, there's again, I think I think it just comes down to those two factors, like assists and like mm-hmm. which of those you value more. Yeah, I mean, if it does come to, come down to those two, it might just be which team has a better record. And I think Philly has probably the better chance by virtue of an easier yeah. Eastern Conference schedule. Um, and if the difference is two or three games. It probably doesn't matter, but if the difference is seven or eight wins, then I, I think that probably tips the scales in one of those guys' favor, and, and you know most likely that would be Embiid for me. The the funny part is, it, based on t- simple rating for Basketball Reference, the Nuggets have a better simple rating than the 76ers right now by mm-hmm. like two whole points because their schedule has been harder. Um, so like, you know, and by the way, the Nuggets. I mean, people say like, oh, the Nuggets aren't winning enough. The Nuggets are bad. They're like, I know this shouldn't be the end-all be-all, but they are fourth in the league in simple rating. Like, based on that metric, they're the fourth-best yeah. team in the NBA. So, I think, you know, I mean, what Jokic is able to get out of that team is yeah. kind of unbelievable. Yeah, absolute monster. Uh, obviously, he has the durability advantage, too. I mean, Embiid is going to miss his seventh game of the year on Thursday uh, due to COVID stuff. Um, and, you know, pretty good chance he misses five to ten more games over the course of the the second half. And then that could also shape it. Um, I want to talk about Carl Anthony Towns. You and I had a discussion off air earlier today. Um, there's, there's really, I would, I wouldn't say we're to the point where there are Carl Towns trade rumors. I don't think we're even close to that point actually, but he's definitely on the, you know, the, the conveyor belt of stars that is continually moving, you know, from year to year. And when you're on like the losing, literally the losing is franchise in pro sports. They just passed the Buccaneers last week. Um, it's inevitably going to come up and, and it, it basically has been a under the table conversation since he signed that extension, which if, if other stars in recent years have taught us anything, it doesn't matter how long you're locked up. If you're, if you're the star and you want out, you kind of have unlimited leverage in these type of situations based on what we know about towns. I, I don't think there's a great chance that he tries to force his way out barring, you know, something unforeseen, but I just want to ask you like completely hypothetically, if he were to become available, whether it be this year, off season, whenever, what, where would you like to see him land from a, a realistic, you know, like fun basketball perspective? Um, and maybe this is the same answer, but if it's not, where, what would make the most sense in terms of like, who could you trade for him where, where both teams would ultimately feel okay about that deal? So I think he should be, I don't know how he would get into a situation where he would be like the third best player on a team. That's kind of seems like unrealistic. So I think, and I don't know, I think if he's like your one B, that's probably the, I don't think you want him as your one A. I'm still not really sure about him as that. I mean, I think I'm, I'm higher on Carly than he towns than a lot of other people, but I'm not sure he should be more than your one B. So I think, you know, he, he needs to go somewhere where he can kind of be, I mean, I think, I think having him and like an elite point guard, be a pick and roll slash pick and pop threat would be crazy. Um, like that would be, it would be like the, it would be like a different version of like the, you know, like Simmons Gobert kind of a thing or Simmons uh, Embiid kind of a thing. And we right. kind of talked before the podcast about would the Celtics trade Jalen Brown for him? 
Um, like to me, that's really interesting. Tatum and Towns as your one and two, you know, Boston would solve their Sanger situation. Um, you know, I think he, I think he would help out Kemba Walker a lot, just as like a pick and you know, like a, just a screen and roll screen and pop threat. Um, but I think he does need to land on a situation where he is probably the second best player. I, I don't always like doing the like, oh, could he be the second, first, third best player? Just because it totally depends what the roster is around you. Like he could be the first best player in the league if the other four guys are like borderline all stars. You know, if you like if everyone else in the starting lineup is like Jalen Brown caliber and Towns is like one level up from that, then, yeah, he could be the best player. But I, I think you are right. Like you don't you can't build a you know, like your typically constructed title team, which usually has two stars and then, you know, a, a kind of a second tier of like very good role players. And then your average role players, like he can't, he can't be the number one guy. I think you also need to choose like very carefully who that one, a one B would be just because of, of town's limitations defensively, which I still have this belief that if he got into a better situation, I, I don't think those would be as big of a deal as they've been in Minnesota. I mean, that, that organization has been a complete mess from the top down, uh, virtually since he got there. But I mean, is is there like an ideal guy to pair with him? I, I, I like the Boston idea uh, quite a bit. I, I'm sure Boston would like that as well. Um, but I, I feel like you couldn't pair like Carl Towns and Brad Beal, like to me that, or, or Carl Towns and James Harden, you know, to me, that's like a little bit too redundant, even though they're different positions. Yeah. Like you, like you want someone that's a two-way player. Cause you, right. cause because you have to prepare for the idea that, well, maybe Towns just is bad at defense. And then we need to sure. surround him with good defensive players, which is kind of where, again, if you go back to like the Tatum thing, him next to Tatum as like a defensive guy who can handle the ball, they can run, pick and pop, and the defense can't really switch that. They could, but Tatum's good enough uh, as a ball handler to take advantage of a big on him, and Towns is good enough in the post um, to take advantage of a smaller guy on him. Um I mean, if Adebayo wasn't in Miami, him and Jimmy Butler, I think, would be fun. Um, if Toronto found a way to get him there, I think that would be interesting. Um, yeah. If if they could still keep Lowry, um, you know, I I don't know. Um, yeah. Are you are you thinking of a particular? I mean, him and Trey Young would be like a yeah. ton of fun. But I just you know <laughs> yeah. that would be you <laughs> you might start stepping back into the territory where it's like, why is this team at forty wins? You know. Oh, exactly. I mean, I Towns is, is definitely, definitely better than John Collins, but I don't know that like swapping those two would change all that much for Atlanta. Although, I mean, if you, like if you could play him as the four, and you have Capella kind of protecting him on defense, I don't know. Maybe that that that's not the worst idea. I, basically, if you can get your hands on Carl Towns, there's a good chance it's going to be an upgrade on whoever you're starting at the four or the five. Um, I mean, the number one guy for me would be like Kawhi. But you could make that case for anyone. Like, is there any player that wouldn't fit alongside Kawhi Leonard? You know, I think he's yeah. kind of like the perfect player uh, to play alongside Towns. How would you feel about uh, Brandon Ingram for Carl Towns as like an mm -hmm. idea? Like, it, this is the scenario where Towns is unhappy and demands out. The Pelicans right. realize they don't want to have Ingram and Zion on the same team. Ingram is still pretty young. You get a stretch five next to Zion. The defensive fit, obviously, not great. Maybe you, maybe you do. Maybe you don't have Lonzo. Maybe he is. Maybe he's not in the trade. Um, but I think the Zion Towns combination would be immediately like an insane front court that works yeah. well together. Especially because Towns is a good passer. You'd get a lot of like 
high low actions um it's not really something you could switch because zion's kind of playing more like a three at this point um i think that would be interesting i really like that idea i mean if you're minnesota you're obviously demanding more but at the same time I think well, the they, gap between Towns and Ingram has narrowed considerably in the last two years. You know, like if you, if you had said two years ago, all right, Towns for Ingram, you'd be like, what are you talking about? These guys are not even remotely in the same zone. And now, I mean, I, the biggest thing with Towns is the injuries. You know, it's like he went from this 82 games a year guy to someone who you really have to worry about, I think, from that perspective. And he's still a better player. He's a more valuable asset than Ingram. But like the gap is not nearly as as massive as it was a year or two ago. Yeah, I think... I mean, it, yeah, and I think Ingram is a guy who would probably prefer his own team or to try to be the number one guy on a team. Towns is kind of, I mean, not failing at that, but it's just not working. Like, I like it. And New Orleans still has a ton of draft picks. Like, they can get, from the Anthony Davis trade, like, they can get really creative with how they move forward in terms of they have a ton of picks, they have Ingram, Lonzo's future there is uncertain, but you figure, I mean... He would be if if you kept him, that would be interesting with him and Zion and and Towns. Um, yeah, yeah. Lonzo's been very very good for the last month. I, I think if you're not watching a lot of Pelicans games or you're not religiously checking the box score, you, you kind of just think he's just been chilling. But I mean, the last month and a half, he's I think he's had by far his best stretch of at, at any point in his career. Yeah, he's been playing really well. Like I think you know I'm still a little tentative on what he is like long term. I think he's probably suited to be your like fourth or fifth starter kind of a guy. Yeah. Um, like I think if he's your third best guy, you're kind of in some trouble still from a competitive standpoint. Um, yeah. But if but, you I mean, find... yet again, it's like if your top two are LeBron and Davis, then it's fine. Well, but yeah, I, I think in general, yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. If, if he was your third best player with Zion and Towns, I think you'd still be nervous about that. Yeah. And you'd want, you'd want someone else better than him in there. Yeah. I like this idea. I mean, if you're Minnesota, you're not fired up to to move on from Carl Towns and, and start over with Brandon Ingram, who, I mean, I don't think he's good stats, bad team. Like, the efficiency is really good. Like, he's, he's a good player, but he's he's also just not, he's just not in that tier of guys who are automatically getting you to 45 wins just because they're healthy and they're on the court, you know? Right. And I think if you flip those two this year, it's like, is Minnesota, does Minnesota go like five and 67? I don't know. Like, I, I think he... Towns exact, hasn't exactly been this like model of winning, uh, and and a lot of it's been the situation around him. But I I just don't, you know, if you're Minnesota, it's like okay, Ingram and what, you know, how many first round picks, you know, I'm probably demanding Lonzo, um, I'm demanding at least you know one or two of those future picks from the Lakers, um, and and for a deal like this to happen, I think it would take Towns like demanding out, right? Like I, I don't think I don't see Minnesota ever just being like right, this isn't working out. Let's see if we can go get Brandon Ingram instead. Yeah, and I mean, Towns is only two years older than Ingram, and yeah. um, so it's kind of, it, it almost feels like a year problem for my problem kind of a thing, where there might not even really be a problem right now, but, you know, I mean, if you're the Wolves and it, and it comes down to that, and you end up with, okay, we have Ingram, Anthony Edwards, and hopefully, cross your fingers, uh, mm-hmm. top uh, four pick in this upcoming year's draft, I mean, that's that's a pretty solid rebuild going even though you're, it is you've always been rebuilding but right i mean and imagine if you had lamella ball instead of edwards and <laughs> oh i'm I'm, I'm even i said with james a couple weeks ago like i'm tur- i'm coming around on edwards the efficiency is terrible but i went back and looked at a lot of a lot of like superstar players you know early on 
you kind of forget like LeBron, Melo, guys like that were, were borderline like 40% shooters as rookies. Like it's not that crazy. He's taken a ton of threes. Um, the, the efficiency is a little bit ugly, but I, I do like what I've seen from Edwards. Like, the question is like, do you just, do you trust Minnesota? Like, let's say they hang on to that pick and like it's number one or number two. It, based on their track record, it's like for most teams, you'd be like, hell yeah. All right. We're in good position here. We're going to, we're going to rebuild with Minnesota. It's, it's like, I'm almost expecting the pick to go awry. Like you, you almost don't want to even be in the situation where you're going to mess up. Isn't, I mean, isn't this a draft where if you are in the top five, you like literally can't miss? Like, isn't I, this like shooting look, fish in a barrel in terms of a draft? In some ways, yes. I mean, compared to last year, I guess, sure. But at the same time, I always go back to the Lonzo draft and that's what everybody thought about that one. It was like, man, you, Markel Fultz, you know, what a lock, what, what <laughs> okay, a guy. That, this is the number one, the number one player in a great draft. Does the Fultz thing count though? It, I think it counts. I mean, I don't think it counts. I, I don't know. I mean, so wait, we're, so we're throwing it out just because the shoulder is such a bizarre situation. It, it's it's beyond any other. It's so okay. far removed from any other like bad draft situation. True. He just I forgot guess. how to yes. shoot. His shoulder doesn't work anymore. I I think there maybe should have been some more like diligence done on the personality traits and things like that that maybe exacerbated some of these things. But that, that's neither here nor there. I mean, Lonzo Ball at two. I wouldn't say he's exactly lived up to that. It, right. It's looking better now than it than it was a few months ago. But I mean, by no means has he reached the ceiling that people thought he would. Tatum at three, that looks great, uh, especially based on how Boston got to three to get him. Josh Jackson at four, bust. I mean, Darren Fox at five has been pretty good. Isaac super injured. Marketing disappointing. Neil Akina disappointing. Dennis Smith disappointing. Zach Collins, Malik Monk. Like I don't know. I, I'm just I'm just very skeptical when people say like, oh, this draft is just absolutely loaded. Every single draft that you look at, whether it's MLB, NBA, NFL, like at the end of the day, like some are better than others, but it, you never, you never just have a situation where like all top 10 picks become, you know, 10 time all-stars. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't, I, I don't know that much about like the incoming guys. So it's just what I've heard where it's just like, yeah. you know, I've heard some people say that again, like the top five guys in this draft, all those guys could have went number one this year. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's possible. I mean, the the guys at the top of this year's class are more projectable superstars, I guess. You know, it's like they're I wouldn't say they're risky, but they're it's like if, if things go right, like this guy could be like a top five to ten player in the league. Whereas I, I think with maybe the exception of Lamelo, like a lot of the guys in last year's class, it's like okay, even if we hit on this guy, you know, think of like Isaac Okoro or Patrick Williams. You're like nobody was nobody's ever looking at them as like, man, this has, this guy has top ten player ceiling. Like there are four or five guys in this year's draft who it's fairly easy to say, like, okay, I can see this guy being an all-star by, like, year three. Right. Um, okay, we'll, we'll finish out with this. I want to just hit on a couple of the bad teams. I, I don't know if we've officially crossed all these off yet. Uh, if not, I expect that we that we will pretty soon. But Houston, Minnesota, Cleveland, Orlando, Detroit are pretty solidly, I, I think, in the bottom five right now and, and going to be kind of racing to the bottom, uh, you know, as as the draft gets closer and closer. Fantasy wise, are there is there anything that you're keeping an eye on with any of these teams as far as maybe some veterans, you know, being shuffled out, some young players who haven't had as many opportunities so far, but but maybe will over these last 35 or so games? Well, I mean, it seems like uh, Sacramento is interested in trading Harrison Barnes. Yep, it's just kind of the word on the street. If that happens, and same with Bielitsa by the way. Um, and if that happens, then it's like Marvin Bagley time, you know, like Marvin Bagley could end up, you know, I, I think, well, cause they need to know what they have in him. I think 
and he's been playing better lately. Like he, the at the start of the year, started off weird. His dad got involved, whatever. Um, but he's been fine lately. So I think I think if those guys get moved, Bielitsa and Barnes, there'll be an opportunity for Bagley. Houston, Oladipo's on the table. From what it sounds like, I I would be surprised if they paid him at this point. Although I think some of it might depend on how good they look when Christian Wood comes back. They've been awful since he went. Have they? I think they've lost every game since he's gone out. Is that true? I think uh, they've lost 13 in a row. I, I don't know if that exactly coincided, but pretty close. I mean, he's played 17 games, so that's yeah, about. pretty. Uh, yeah, they've lost every game that he has not played during the stretch. So, uh, what, a, yeah. what a sentence. I know. Um, other than that, I don't know. I mean, you always got to keep an eye on Kevin Love. I think you maybe have to keep an eye on Ricky Rubio, but I wouldn't expect anything even if he got traded. Mm-hmm. Vooch, I mean, I think someone should really try to get Vooch, but um, it, again, sounds like the Magic just want to hang on to him. Yeah, I mean, with the Magic, I, I have no idea what's going on because, you know, Aaron Gordon and Cole Anthony, I think, have missed enough games where like they've just kind of fallen so far back that... I don't think like realistically, if you're the magic, can you look yourselves in the mirror and be like, all right, we got it. We got to give ourselves at least like a month here when all of our guys are back. I just don't feel like the upside is high enough. Like, I, I don't think getting Aaron Gordon back and getting a rookie point guard back is going to change your fortunes any. No. And I mean, unfortunately, they might just be looking at next year and being like, well, when we get Markel Fultz and Jonathan Isaac back, then we're yeah. really going to make some noise in the <laughs> East. and We're going to take we're going to be fifth in the conference. Uh, so. I, I hope that's the case. I, I, I'm rooting for both those guys, but man, that was such a tough break for Fultz. And I mean, Isaac at this point, I, I if we're talking fantasy, it's like, it's I just tough. don't like, what are we projecting him for next year? Like 45 games? Yeah. Like that might, that just might be the story for like the rest of his career. Yeah. In three years, he's played 106 games and he's going to miss all of this season. So, yeah. I mean, he's basically when he plays next year, he's basically like a second year player. Kind of. Yeah. Like and in terms of game. He's been play good. Experience. It's just gonna be hard to trust him. Yeah. Uh, one thing I'm keeping an eye on in Detroit is the the Saban Lee, Dennis Smith situation. I mean, DeLon Wright could be back as soon yeah. as I think they play Thursday. Um I mean we didn't even really know who Saban Lee was until DeLon Wright got hurt. Obviously Dennis Smith kind of came in at the right time with Wright getting hurt as well. The Pistons are bad enough and it's pretty clear now that they're they're not going to attempt to to climb back into this thing in the east even if they could i mean delon wright is not old by any means but he is turning 28 in april um you know dennis smith younger Saban lee a rookie i i don't think they're going to trade delon wright but i, I think it's going to be interesting to monitor like how his minutes you know end up changing because he was basically like a 36 minute a game guy for a while before getting hurt and we also have killian hayes potentially getting back into the mix over the next few weeks I would love for them to trade DeLon Wright. Like, That'd be a nice thing to do. It would be very nice. I would love for him to be a Milwaukee Buck, uh, have some fewer DJ Augustine minutes. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there are a lot of teams DeLon Wright could just, I mean, he's one of those guys you get for the playoffs and you just hope he can be a part of your eight-man rotation. And if he's not, you know, just kind of whatever. Um, but he's been good for sure. And like, they, I don't think they're going to trade him or, I mean, Mason Plumley again, like, He's 30, so he's 31. And so that was, I mean, that was one of the more confusing signings to begin with. Um, 
And I think maybe they just wanted him on the team to be a facilitator and kind of help the offense function. Cause that's actually what he does, right? He can help the offense function. Mm-hmm. Um, and he can help the young guys out just get with the basketball, but he, he doesn't need to be on this team. No, not at all. That, that actually is a good point. I hadn't really considered him as a, as a deadline type of deal. I, I don't know. I don't have Delon Wright's contract info in front of me right now, but I don't, I mean, like, could you, could you get like a protected decently valuable first round pick for DeLon Wright and, and what's going to be, I think like a pretty, like pretty dry trade market. Um, yeah, his contract is it's, he makes 9 million this year and 8.5 next year. And that's his expiring years next year. I think you could, if you, I mean, if you're good enough, um, I don't know, man, I think Phoenix would feel really good if they got away, if they found a way to get him. Um, it's like Chris Paul's backup and just like an emergency guy in case right. he gets hurt, you know, because they're running a like, campaign has been fine. But um, I mean, DeLon Wright is also someone who can kind of play three positions. Yeah. So he could fit in on plenty of teams. Right. I, I mean, I'm thinking like a Boston. Yeah. Basically get rid of the Jeff Teague minutes. <laughs> That's also also give. I mean, get rid of a lot of the minutes, basically, like just fill in whatever whoever the fifth guy is out there who you don't want, you know, just throw DeLon right in at that spot. Yeah, yes, they uh, they have some bad minutes going around right now. They do. All right, we got to get out of here. Um, a lot of injury info. Uh, we should we should have some clarity on some more players coming back uh, either tonight or tomorrow as we start to gear up for the second half in fantasy. Only two games on the schedule tomorrow night: Washington, Memphis, and Spurs, Mavericks. For some reason, I, I don't know what the thought process was there. Um, but we got a massive slate Thursday. I think there's at least seven games from like Thursday through next Tuesday. Um, so we're going to be back in full swing and it's going to be a fun sprint to the finish.